Hello, this is Margot S. Scott, and you're listening to Improv Interviews. I'm a psychotherapist and improviser in Naples, Florida. Today is a two-part podcast with the delightful John Dawson. John is a graphic artist, filmmaker, writer, improviser, and so many things. He's just a Renaissance man. In our first episode, we talk about John's development as an improviser and also his connection with our dear friend, Nick John. Be sure and check out the links on the website for Improv Interviews to learn more about this fantastic, lovely gentleman. Well, hi, John Dawson. Hi, Margaret. How are you? I am terrific, and good morning, good afternoon to you, because you're in Ireland, aren't you? I am. I'm in Dublin, Ireland, where what I a live. Beautiful city. And it I'm is. so excited to speak to you today. I've got so many questions to ask you because you've had a brilliant and you continue to have a brilliant career. Now, you started off in graphic arts? I did, yes. Uh, I uh, That was my first love, um, and it still is to a degree. Uh, I trained at the Sheridan College uh, outside of Toronto and in graphic art and, and uh, painting and drawing. And I ultimately became a graphic designer and an illustrator. And I, uh, at a very early age, about 20, I started in the business. And by 25, I had my own studio and I moved it to Toronto. And uh, that's where, the, you know, because that's where the bigger clients were. And, uh, and that's where I ultimately uh, came about to go to Second City Theatre and begin studying improvisation. And did you just think one day, I think I'll try improv? I mean, how did that come about? Well, it wasn't quite, no, it wasn't really my my idea initially. It was, I was there for a year, and because I was working freelance and I had my own business, I, I spent a lot of time alone. I would see clients, um, but, you know, very briefly, and I was very, very busy, as you all, as we always are when we're self-employed. Um, it's not a nine-to-five, it's all the time, really. And I, after a year, I still didn't have much of a social circle. And uh, it was just the nature of the beast. And also being a graphic artist, uh, any kind of an artist, you're, uh, they tend, unless you're a musician in a band or you're an actor in a company, you spend a lot of time alone. So I realized that I was spending too much time alone and, and really feeling the effects of that. But a childhood friend of mine had also moved to Toronto. And he had said, and I love improvisation. I love sketch comedy. I was a huge fan of SCTV. Uh, which was the TV show. Yeah. Yes, yes, wonderful show. Catherine O'Hare, all the, Gene Levy, yeah. Unbelievable. And a lot of those people came from the same city I, I was born in, Hamilton, Ontario, which is outside of Toronto. So I was a huge fan of that. And we used to go see the shows, myself and my buddy and my, my brothers uh, who were in Toronto. And we used to go see Second City shows and, and then stay for the improv set afterwards. And my friend phoned me up and he said, do you want to go do workshops? And I said, oh, I don't know. Really? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, why? He said, well, to meet people, girls mainly. And I said, <laughs> okay. He said, what's wrong with you? I said, no, okay. So I realized, yeah, this, this is a way to develop a social circle. But little did I know, it would completely open my mind to, to the dramatic arts. It was, it was life-changing. Did you have one of those aha moments? Because that happened to me almost immediately. It was like, this is what's missing in my life. It was... Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it took a little while, but not long. And I really, I, I, I got hooked onto it. I got bitten by the bug like you, and I couldn't do enough of it. 
So I was going to Second City, and we were playing theater sports, and, and I started to do other acting, acting classes, and I began to train in every, almost every kind of acting I could. So that was my evening, and my day was in the studio, uh, in the art studio, the design studio, and in my evenings, it was as much of that as I could get. And if I wasn't in the, a drama class, an acting class, or an improv class, I was in the cinema, studying cinema, studying, studying films. I love films, too. I love yeah. films. I, I used to live in Manhattan, and there were like about five movie theaters near me, and some Saturdays I would just go to several movies in a row. I just took oh. it all in. It was wonderful. It was brilliant. So Heavenly. You started around 30 years ago at Improv, at Second yeah. City. And mm -hmm. so there were some great folks at Second City Improv back then. And you oh, studied yeah. with the illustrious Del Close. And I'd love to hear about your experiences with Del. Was that at Toronto or did you ever go to Chicago? Well, it was very brief, but it was extremely influential for me. Del, no, it was in Toronto. Del had come up. Uh, to do some work with uh, Andrew Alexander was there at that time and the Toronto company and uh, he was running it and Dell came up to do a workshop with us in, in um, long form and the Herald specifically and I had been doing improv for a few years and it was really for people who had you know quite a bit of, of training and it was a very intensive course and we had I was part of a, of a Herald's troupe uh, that I co-created, and and we were experimenting with it, and we were talking to him about it, and he thought we, were, what we were doing was great, but it was a little too complicated, and this and that, and so we, I dived into this workshop with him, and it was fantastic, and I'll never forget it because the poor man, uh, there was one particular Saturday where he had food poisoning. Poor guy he had gone to see an improv show the night before, and I remember exactly what he ate. He had a burger with Russian dressing on it, and it must have been off, and he was sick. And so he was working with us, and then he'd, he'd have to dash out of the theater and come running back in. And we did the course um, on the, the main stage at the old Fire Hall Theater, which was the original Second City Theater in Toronto. And, um, and it was fantastic because that's the stage that, that people like Mike Myers came from. In fact, Mike Myers, I believe, was on stage at that time in the main stage company and, and performing before he went to Saturday Night Live. And, and Dell was fabulous, and, but even though he was off, and it was that day, I recall, we were working with the Herald and he was guiding us, and it was at lunchtime, and everyone had left, and, uh, with, with the exception of myself and him. And he was leaning against the stage, uh, with sort of his eyes closed, not feeling well. And I approached him. I said, Mr. Close, a moment. He said, it's Dell. I said, okay, Dell, a moment. He said, yes. I said, is it true that you, you taught David Mamet? And he said, yes. And I asked him a few questions about David Mamet. And he, and he said a few things about him. And he said, yeah, David's a, a good playwright, but you were fabulous this morning. Now, this is all in the same sense, yeah. And I couldn't believe it. He's David Mamet won a Pulitzer, you know. So, and I said, oh, thank you. And I ran out of there, and I ran up the steps onto the street, and I thought, remember this moment. And, and later he said, please come sh to Chicago and train with me at the I.O. And, uh, and I didn't, uh, because I, was, I had a business going in Toronto, and I was very, my life was there. And, uh, but, you know, I'll tell you, Margo, when, when times get tough, I always think of that moment. You know, and I mean, he was to improv what Stanislavski is to acting. 
It's so, that's such a brilliant, lovely moment. And that's, I call something sometimes rainy day letters, where we yeah. have a bunch of letters and we just, when we're feeling really low, we can open them and see that somebody thought I was okay. <laughs> Not that we need, when you were a child, what were you like as a child? Introverted. Um, uh, not very coordinated, not very sports, uh, orientated at all. I didn't have the balance for it. And here you are, here I am growing up in, in a, in a place where people skate, skate and play hockey and ski. And I uh, play baseball in the summers and particularly winter sports. And I found all of that extremely difficult. And uh, so I just wasn't, I just didn't have it. Um, so I sat in front of the television, memorizing and mimicking. And if I wasn't doing that, I was drawing and painting. And I've seen one of your cartoons. Lovely. Yeah, lovely work. Thank you. And that's a very, but that's very isolated. Did you have many peers or friends that you hung out with? Uh, I would say, thinking back to uh, to my childhood now, not a lot. No, it was very, it's very isolated, and uh, probably because I was uh, also because I was very introverted, and maybe at times very shy. And were you from a big family? You mentioned your brothers. Yeah, I had. Uh, I'm one of five kids. Wow. Yeah, the eldest. Yeah. It's either I'm the eldest. <laughs> Um, but definitely the most immature. <laughs> we have to be immature to play. Absolutely. Yeah. And play Absolutely. is what it is. It's play. It's. I couldn't agree with you more, you know, and you know, one of the things that you and I have been sort of uh, discussing via email is that very thing. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking at more into Dr. Stuart Brown's work right now and the area of play and, uh, and how his argument is that it is not, uh, just a, a, a means of preparation for adulthood. It is something that we must carry on all through our lives. That it has a biological place in our lives, just like dreams and sleep. And I couldn't agree more. And there's a lovely man named Bernie DeCoven who passed away last year. And I've been involved in Playfair and New Games for several decades. And that improv was kind of a natural segue for me, but Bernie DeCoven was the master of play. I'll have to send you some things on him because he was just lovely. Just lovely. Please do. But play is such an important aspect of our lives, and we can be playful in so many different situations. True. But you were a little bit isolated as a child. A little bit, yes. And it yeah. gave you more time, though, to work on your art. Pretty much so, and that was well, that's where I was very focused and very naturally focused. Um, I was, uh, I, I would draw a bit from life, but I would draw a lot from my imagination. And I suppose I always knew that I was going to go to art school. That was just my destiny. And I didn't resist that. It just seemed natural. It seemed organic. And, but the thing that I was interested in wasn't just creating imagery that was representational of something in front of me, or something born out of my imagination. What fascinated me the most was book illustration and artwork in service of story, which is obsesses me. I'm not interested in stories and storytelling. I'm obsessed with it. And I see that's where it began. It was 
for me to illustrate stories would be the best job in the world, I thought, when I was a kid. And I ultimately did go on to do that. I, you mentioned that you lived in New York. I had an agent in New York for years, and, and as well as in London and Amsterdam. But my agent, agent in New York was my predominant art, art agent, uh, illustration agent. And I had, at the time of my life, um, illustrating uh, out of New York uh, with that representation for publishers, uh, uh, magazines and books. And it was at that time that I was doing the Second City work. So the, all there was this convergence of interests, which is where my life is now and, and where it's going. And is there a way people can see some of your illustrations online or somewhere? There was a site. I, it's, it's down now. I, I probably will put some more up. Um, uh, at some point, I don't do that anymore. Uh, as for a living, it's purely done for love now. Uh, back to right back to my childhood, uh, which is kind of kind of nice, uh, because I work in the dramatic arts. That's how I make a living. I, I write screenplays. I teach writing, and I work as you as you know, as an uh, improv facilitator. I was an acting coach for a number of years as well, uh, but I'm not doing that so much anymore. It's really my focus is improvisation and storytelling. But I will send you a few uh, of my illustrations. That'd be lovely. Want. Yeah. You know, storytelling is so big in the States now. I go to a storyteller group occasionally, and they're just, it's just lovely. The, yeah. the um, growth of storytelling in this country yes. is just beautiful. And of course, Ireland has a tradition of that. What a great yeah. country. What, what, what made you decide to expat to uh, Dublin in Ireland? That, in fact, is a cool story because it's about storytelling. Uh, when I was in Toronto, I was beginning to write screenplays, and all of that was born out of, my writing was born out of the, my work at Second City. I was not formally trained as a writer, uh, as a screenwriter. I was all self-taught, I was all self-taught and I did a lot of study in it, and I, um, and I began to write screenplays, and I began to write sketch comedy out of my Second City experience, and then short films, some plays, uh, feature-length screenplays. I had a couple of associates here uh, in Dublin who were ex of the Don Bluth Animation Studio, which was based here years ago, excuse me, which kick-started the Irish animation uh, industry, which is grown enormously in the last 20 years, the last 30 years. And they were developing a project, a feature-length film, inspired by Irish mythology. And they asked me to be involved and they, uh, um, because they discovered they weren't writers, and not everybody is. And they showed me the property, and I didn't think I was right for it. And uh, But they convinced me that I should look at it again. And it was an animated feature film for kids. And... And I, I said, well, it's really not my, my, my bag. It's not really my area. And, but as I began to look at it, I thought, oh, maybe it is. And I had been to Dublin before, and I had a really good time. I really enjoyed the humor here. And I knew I was going to come back at some point. And I, and, I, and I thought, okay, time for a change. I wasn't terribly happy in Toronto. I was footloose and fancy-free. I came over here to do research on that project. I was back and forth for a little bit, and I just I never went back. I stayed. That's brilliant. I just love that. It's wonderful. Yes. So let's get back to improv again, because we have a mutual friend in common, and I guess it was at Toronto Second City where you met the lovely Nick John. Oh, did it, what a great experience that was. He was, and still is, so influential in my life, because he was well into it before I was, and he was 
just the most charming, funny guy. And we became extremely good friends. In fact, we were roommates for a while. Uh, and uh, when I created a uh, co-created a little theater sports troupe uh, called the Hammond Go-Go's, we asked Nick to be our coach. And he thought that was great. And I got to know him even better. And he was at Second City in training. And, and uh, so I began, you know, I was doing the classes there. And we just got to know each other and, and grew very close. And when I moved over here, um, he got in touch with me and said, I've got this one-man show, as you know. And he had written this wonderful one-man show called Remembering Galileo. And it was hilarious. And he had done it at a number of the fringes, like the Toronto Fringe and the Edmonton Fringe. And he wanted to, to, to splash it out there a bit more. And I said, well, let me produce it for you here at the Dublin Fringe Festival. So I got it into the Fringe, and, and that was you know, wonderful. And they brought him over and a couple of his friends to assist. And we put it up in a little theater. And it was a huge, it was a hit. It was lovely, a lovely experience. And that is how Nick met his partner. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's how I met uh, uh, Sinead, his partner. She was helping out in the fringe and they met and then there you go. So lovely. It's magical, yeah. Now, absolutely. I think you told me that you and Nick developed a kind of a form together. You had looked at the Herald and the Armando and other long forms, and you developed something of your own. Well, I created one here a few years ago. Uh, Nick and I, we we had created a little troop when he when he was over here at that time. We were um, I when I was putting up the play, it did so well that a, a group in Waterford wanted us to come down there and, and they wanted his play. And I said, wonderful, let's, let's, let's bring it down. So they paid for a new flight back and they, they took us to Waterford, which is a lovely area of Ireland, a lovely, lovely city, you know, you know, where the crystal came from, right? And, and we were, there was a, a moment where we were approached by one of the young producers of the, of the little uh, festival and they had a hole in their comedy night. They were missing like 20 minutes to half an hour. Somebody had dropped out. And they, he asked if Nick and I could do some improv. So, so Nick and I hadn't been on stage in like eight, nine years. And Nick and I got up on stage and did 20, 30 minutes of machine gun paced improv and, and in front of about 300 people. And we had a ball. And it was just like getting on a bike again. You know, I just, bam, I was there with Nick. And we had done a number of these types of things in Toronto before I had left. And we had a lot of fun. It was just like, it was old times all over again. And it was all brand new. And we were, we just stormed it. And his little play went over exceptionally well there as well. So then I began to teach improvisation. I was approached by uh, some people here because there wasn't any of this kind of training back then. Certainly not the Second City type uh, of training. And there were some, there was improv, but people were sort of feeling their way and getting it from, you know, books and what have you. So I began working in a little, at a little drama school and uh, uh, actually the drama school portion of a theater company. And because of, I suppose it was so new, uh, it took off and I was teaching it, for, I've been teaching it here probably 19 years now. And very much what I had uh, absorbed through the Second City experience and the theater sports experience. But I brought into it some of the other acting training, some Meisner work, uh, which I incorporate into my uh, improv training, and also the longer forms. And so, in the in the for the more advanced courses. So I created a, a game 
um, which is an amalgam of the Herald to a degree, Del Close's Herald, and the Armando, uh, and which, of course, uh, is um, the basis, I think, of the ASCATs done by the Upright Citizens Brigade, which I love. And um, But as a storyteller, I wanted to tell more complete stories. So I brought more a sense of story structure to it. So the little scenes, they have to come back three times, and they must have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And they all intertwine. And because you're, you're, there might be a couple of players, and they're all basically two-handers. They're all two-person scenes. And it's structured the same. It starts the same way or a similar way to the Armando, where someone will call out a word. And um, what instead of a monologue, it's just riffing on it. One of the troop will come out and say the word was hot dog and tell um, an anecdote from their life. And it has to be true. Uh, about hot dog and then somebody else will from the troop will come up with another anecdote from their life about hot dog and then those anecdotes are enacted all right and of course it doesn't have to stick to the actual story the the actual anecdote we can we can extrapolate it's jazz crazy. it's improvising it's jazz. It's total improvising we jazz it we jazz it but with a with, but it still has to have a beginning a middle and an end but because the other players are listening to each other, the stories begin to intertwine and picks, they pick up the elements of the other stories. So or the, and they make connectives, which is something that we need to see in good film, say, screenwriting. There are connectives all through the stories. All those patterns are there. You just don't, you don't necessarily recognize them consciously, but they're there. They're part of the story structure. So that's what I came up with. And in fact, the troupe I have right now, um, we're meeting on Wednesday nights. They're going to be working with that this coming Wednesday. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping to do a full-length show, uh, yet another one with this group of people. That's wonderful. I wish I was there. I do love Ireland. Um, I was going to ask you, of a, I've heard you speak about the three C's. Could you tell us about the three C's? Yeah, well, my thinking on it is is that it's the three C's that add up to the fourth, you know, and the ultimate fourth would be in collaboration, and that they would be connection, concentration, and communication, that we need to connect. We have to have, we cannot be afraid of connecting with somebody, to, to see them, for them to see us, warts and all, and that enables us to develop our vulnerability to develop trust with each other, trust and respect being the two key components of any kind of relationship. We must be, but first, we can't do any of that unless we actually connect. And so some of the games I've used, particularly in, in the mental health area, which we'll talk about, is about that very thing, about being able to connect with each other. It's very natural for us as children, very instinctual, as little children, to look and to stare, to be inquisitive, to be curious. To, be, to look into someone's eyes right away, that the gaze that we have as children is something that is perhaps lost, suppressed, put away as we are socialized. And what I make, do, make people do is just look at each other, to concentrate, to look at each other, concentrate, to th begin to think, uh, create a, the creative space between yourself and a partner where something magical can happen where you start to align your thinking and to communicate how to 
how to articulate those things. So those three, those are the three areas that I, I will focus on. The, you've got to have the three, I figured, to add up to the fourth, to, to be able to collaborate, which is, of course, to create something together. Beautiful. That's how it works. That's how, That's how it works, works, eh? Yeah, it works for me, eh? So you're doing, are you doing any writing right now? Are you working on a film or a book or uh, besides teaching? Yeah, I just uh, submitted a screenplay uh, to the Blacklist in California and L.A. Uh, for an assessment. Uh, that's a, pl a digital platform where uh, a lot of screenplays have been discovered. Um, and it's a wonderful uh, project. I've been in, it's been in develop development for a number of years. It's a um, feature-length romantic screwball caper comedy. Uh, there's, a, there's a mix for you. And... Um, I'm also the head writer on a children's uh, animated TV series that's in development right now. And uh, we were working on that last year quite intensively. And now it's getting out there and being pitched. So, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of things on the go. So how many hours do you sleep? Uh, not very much. Uh, <laughs> last night about five. Sometimes, if I'm lucky, <laughs> I'll get seven hours. <laughs> not very much. Not very much. No. no. And uh, we talked about the importance of playfulness and being able to connect. Do you work with children at all, ever? I have. I haven't for a number of years now, but I did uh, about 10, 15 years ago. I did a, for about a year, I did workshops for, with kids uh, between the ages of 8 to, eight to 10 and then uh, 10 to 12. And I was doing some courses on weekends, and I loved it. I, I, it was, in fact, one of the best stories ever came out of one of those courses. It was the first class, in fact. And I was thinking, how am I going to do this? I've never taught children this young. And I thought, well, wait a minute. You know, uh, there's not much difference. Uh, just, you know, a few less polysyllabic words, no profanities, and just get right in there. So I gave them an exercise. It's a little warm-up exercise where... They're standing there with their eyes closed, you know, and they're rubbing their tummy in one direction, and they're rubbing the bum in the other direction. And I said, what, which is what I would say in an adult class, I said, now I'd like you to think about one of your, the happiest moments from your childhood. And a little boy from the back said, this is my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you got them got them into their bodies right away too. They're uh, getting physical as well. Yeah. This is my yeah. child. They're there. So yeah. there. It, it completely stumped me. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> they are uh, they're incredible. Sometimes I prefer a kid's show to an adult yeah. show. Especially if it's a bad adult show. I definitely prefer a kid's show. A kid's show, yeah. <laughs> and they're so pure. You know, it was so pure. It was like, it was, and they didn't hold back at all, you know. And if they didn't like it, they told me. If they And they laugh so, they're not inhibited in any way. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, and as they were leaving, it was, bye, John. And it would be dozens and dozens of them all waving goodbye. And it was a fantastic feeling. Then a few years ago, I was... Uh, the other experience I had it was, yeah, it was a few years ago. I was brought in um, to a secondary school by a very forward-thinking teacher who was, in fact, taking my improv workshop. And she said, would you consider doing this for students in September as part of their orientation? And I said, sure, yeah. She said, a lot of it's very sports-orientated. But there are those that, that don't particularly cater to sports. I said, I can relate to that. And... Uh, 
she said, you know, could we have a couple of days of this? And I said, certainly. And I said, I think this would be great because there's no better way to uh, for creative thinking, uh, creativity and critical thinking, but team building as well. And, and it teaches all of those skills. And she said, fabulous. And maybe it'll help, you know, prevent bullying and they'll, they'll learn to be vulnerable and respectful. And, uh, and so I did that. So I went to work with uh, kids who were around the age of 12, which would be here, would be your first year of secondary school as part of their orientation. And I had a ball. It was great fun. Great fun. So... I think improv is something we can do, even if we're in a wheelchair, we're blind, maybe not deaf, but we can, of course, if we're blind, we can't really see our partner. But it's it's an art form that we can do all the time, I believe. And Absolutely. And so I want to thank you so much for speaking on improv and your history in improv and what a difference. You're like the St. Patrick of improv in Ireland, <laughs> I think. I, I like that. <laughs> oh, I, I learned recently that the reason the snakes aren't in Ireland did not have to do with St. Patrick. It had to do with the glacier melting. There was a bridge between England. England kept the snakes. So um, we'll be they talking. They can have them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in Ireland, even though I've got Anglo roots, I became a little disenchanted with the British, I must say. Yes. Because when I started getting into Irish history, it was like, oh. Oh, yeah. 800 years of occupation. Yeah. It's uh, just incredible the work that you're doing and you're bringing joy to so many people. And we speak again, we'll be talking a little bit more about working with mental health issues, you work at St. Patrick's. So I look forward to talking to you really soon again, John. And, Wonderful. And uh, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Margot. Take care. Take care. And sláinte. <laughs>